This podcast is presented by Herrick and Hart SC. The materials presented are for general information, education, and entertainment purposes only and should not be constituted as formal legal advice or a formation of an attorney-client relationship. You should not rely on this information or its applicability to any specific circumstance without speaking with an attorney. Should you be seeking legal advice, please contact our office at 715-832-3491 or visit oaklawlaw.com. And time for another installment of Law Talk presented by our friends at Herrick and Hart. The team is going to cover a couple of things today. They're going to start off by looking at a case out of Rusk County and an example of statute of limitations. So how does that apply to a recent case out of Rusk County, a civil matter? Also, they're going to touch on a frequently asked question involving family court and divorce proceedings and how certain things are applied. So definitely an episode that's going to keep you entertained. So let's turn it over to Jay and the rest of the Herrick and Hart team. Hi again, everybody. This is Law Talk. I'm Jay Height. I'm here with Allison Shepard and Stephanie Finn. Since our last uh, podcast... Um, we've jo- added in Allison this morning. She's another attorney at Herrick and Hart. Um, Allison, you want to tell us where you're from? Hi, Jay. Uh, I'm originally from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And what got you interested in the practice of law? Man, that's a great question. Um, I think it was, quite frankly, uh, watching the show uh, Law & Order. <laughs> um, no, but truly... Uh, I think it was uh, when I was in high school, I was involved in uh, extracurricular uh, activity called Business Professionals of America. And uh, I competed my senior year, went to nationals, and I placed ninth in nationals in the section of business law. Um, So that was a really exciting thing for me. It was something where I felt, here's something I'm actually good at and that I think I could achieve something with. so, yeah, that's sort of what led me to my interest in the law. And where was law school for you? I went to law school in Milwaukee at Marquette University. Uh, it's a great time. Beautiful campus. And what uh, is the focus of your areas of law as you practice? Well, right now, my areas of law are primarily focused uh, in family law. Uh, I do a little bit of civil litigation as well, uh, as well as some contested probate actions. But my my area of law, we can strike that part. My area of focus is primarily uh, family law, so divorce, uh, placement and custody battles, stuff like that. What are the challenging aspects of being a, a family law attorney? I mean, I, I think it's apparent that anytime you're going through a divorce, emotions are going to be high for a lot of reasons. You know, it's the end of a relationship, the end of a marriage. It's also you're dealing with complex financial issues. You're dealing with where your kids are going to be staying for, you know, the rest of their childhood. It's a very stressful time. So being able to work with people who are going through those tough times, um, having really the I want to say like the right personality to do so. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why I, I like 
this type of, of law, helping people when times are really tough. And how long have you been a family law attorney? Well, you know, I've been here at Herrick and Hart for almost nine years, and I, I would say I got into the family law stuff about six years ago. That, that's been my main focus. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing it for a while, and I really enjoy it. All right. One of the things uh, that you mentioned you did was civil litigation. One thing I, I wanted to talk to our listeners about today, a recent uh, case that came down from the Court of Appeals in District 3. This is uh, the estate of Kevin Weimer versus Zeeland Farm. And wanted to go through this case and take up a few of the issues that have uh, been involved in the, the decision that the Court of Appeals made because they impact many of the things we do here at Herrick and Hart. Just for a little background on this case, um, this is a Russ County case. It happened uh, September 16th, 2019, where the River Country Co-op in Russ County purchased uh, tons of pelletized corn gluten from Zeeland Farms. The corn gluten was delivered to the River Country Co-op in a gravity-operated hopper trailer that was attached to a semi-tractor. The semi-tractor was self-propelled. There was a bridge of corn gluten, and Mr. Weimer, an employee for the co-op, went into the trailer and attempted to break the bridge. The bridge came apart, and he fell down and was tragically trapped in the trailer and drowned. A claim against the owner of the tractor trailer was brought in circuit court and was eventually dismissed. One of the issues that came up was the statute of limitations. Uh, Steph, you want to tell us what a statute of limitations is? Uh, the statute of limitations is the time within which um, a party must file their legal claim in court or they could potentially lose the ability to file that claim. It's sort of like a deadline. If you don't file by that date, no matter how good your claim is, you're not going to be able to proceed with it. And do you know what the statute of limitations was in this case? Um, well, that was part of what the case was about. I believe that the plaintiff's attorneys thought it was three years, which is often a common statute of limitations, which is used in accident and death cases. However, because it involved a motor vehicle, the statute of limitations was only two years. How did the plaintiffs here get confused about that? Well, it was a trailer, correct? Uh, yes, yes. So it was a trailer that is not self-propelled. It is pulled by a semi-tractor. And as far as the, uh, the statute, it uses the word involving, correct? As compared to the word use? I believe so. All right. You think that confused him there? Um, probably. I think that, you know, I, I guess I can't speculate what plaintiff's counsel was thinking um, at the time, but just sort of a common sort of understanding, I think, when people talk about things involving motor vehicles, they're thinking about um, actually driving something or operating something with a motor, not necessarily something that just may be connected to it or 
quote unquote involved with the operation of that vehicle. So Allison, any lessons we can learn from this case? I mean, <clears throat> I guess watch yourself when you're dealing with corn gluten. Well, also, too, I think one of the things that we can learn here is that uh, don't necessarily assume the statute of limitations is three years when you're involved in an accident. Uh, statute of limitations can differ quite often. Um, they're not always the same. They can differ for fires. They can differ if uh, the state's involved. They can differ if municipalities are involved. And in this case, what had typically been the law for a long time, meaning that the statute of limitations had been three years for a personal injury case, becomes a different rule here. And then you complicate it when you attach a trailer onto a semi. Um, now, when you look at Mr. Weimer, you also have to think his family did not um, end up with nothing at all. His primary uh, claim here would have been work comp under Wistat 102.29, which has a uh, way to pay back third-party tortfeasors. So if you're injured at work, um, you should not necessarily conclude that your only claim is always against your employer and work comp. We always encourage people in these situations to talk to an attorney. The reason you talk to an attorney is because there may be other avenues of recovery that are out there. So anytime you know anyone hurt at work, um, not only do you want to have somebody talk to a work comp attorney, but you also want to have them talk to a personal injury lawyer as well. Um, the formula that you use in 102.29 can be quite complicated. There are a lot of rules involved there, so we always encourage people to talk to lawyers there as well. You know, Jay, I was just thinking about what you said about <clears throat> not necessarily assuming the statute of limitations. It actually brings to mind a case that I had uh, <clears throat> where we were dealing with uh, an issue with the statute of limitations that should have been it was two or three years, I can't recall at the time. However, due to the conditions and the terms of their insurance policy, it was actually dictated by the terms of the insurance policy as to how long they had to file. So I, there are actually a lot of factors to consider when, when discussing statute of limitations. I agree with Jay. It's always good to talk to an attorney if, if you've got a potential claim. I would say do it sooner rather than later because even though those statute of limitations can start tolling or beginning um, at the time of discovery or when we find out that there has been a harm, some of them actually start at the time of harm, even if you don't know that. So yeah, if you think you've got a claim, absolutely come and talk to an attorney, somebody who knows the ins and outs of the laws and the hiccups that really may surprise you uh, when it comes to things as simple as statute of limitations. Right. And that's why, you know, it's nice to have the internet and Google and you can go online and maybe check out some things about uh, what, when you think you have a potential claim. But really the procedures and the statutes are, are really complicated and the rules are enforced by the court. Like in this case that, that we were talking about earlier, 
um, you know, even though he may have had a good claim, the statute of limitations um, was violated so that he could not pursue that claim. And he, and he had spoken with an attorney. So even, you know, that just shows how complicated some of this can be. And so it's nice to have those Google resources, but you really do need to come in and talk with a lawyer if you or someone in your family has been injured. And, you know, the great thing is about those types of personal injury consultations is most firms do offer a free initial consultation just to let you know, evaluate your claim, see if there's anything there, if there's a reason for you to talk to a lawyer further. Um, I know here at Herrick and Hart, we will often offer a, uh, you know, free consultation on personal injury cases. Okay. All right. Next topic. Now I've got something a little bit more on the fun side. Um, I've got a question from a listener. It's Bill and Bloomer. He asks, is alimony and maintenance the same thing? Well, that sounds like that's a question for me. All right. Well, here in the state of Wisconsin, we've got what is referred to as maintenance. Maintenance is spousal support that is awarded in the course of a final judgment of divorce. And it is essentially a payment from one spouse to the other to ensure that both spouses are able to maintain uh, the same standard of living that they had during the course of the marriage. We commonly know this as alimony. However, the the official term here in Wisconsin is maintenance. So, uh, yeah, same thing. Now, a, a question I often get is, is palimony a thing? And I'm going to tell you, not here in Wisconsin. And the reason being, we don't have common law marriage in Wisconsin. So there needs to be a legal marriage. Uh, so, and... I see Jay gesturing for a while. <laughs> of course, with anything in the law, the answer is always, it depends. So I will say that even as it relates to palimony, there are options that can be pursued. Correct. And one thing that comes to mind is a case, uh, Watts v. Watts, I think, uh, where really it, it almost, not quite, I don't want to say it, but it's almost like it, if you live together long enough, you almost get divided up like a little bit like a business at the end, but not quite. You have to like participate in um, kind of a joint uh, enterprise together. Yeah. yeah. If, if you're unmarried and you, you own property together and you have been cohabitating together, you know, there are processes you can go through through the circuit courts in order to divide up that property. Maybe you own a house with somebody that you're not married to. Uh, there are processes and procedures within the family court, within the civil court that uh, we are able to pursue in order for there to be a fair and equal division of that property. How does a court go about figuring out maintenance? Well, um, as I said earlier, you know, the goal is really to help to ensure that uh, both parties are able to maintain the same standard of living that they enjoyed during the course of the marriage. You know, you'll see often in marriages or in partnerships, there is one spouse or partner who earns more than the other. That's typical, just the way our society works. Maybe somebody stayed home with the kids. Maybe somebody has been able to pursue higher education uh, due to the other working. Uh, so, you know, the court looks at the relationship as a partnership, and when there is a division of the partnership, the court wants to put both parties on the same level. So 
where both parties may have been earning an income and one income may have been higher than the other doesn't really matter at this point because it's all going to be considered marital income. And the goal, at least for a long-term marriage, is going to be to try to equalize that income for as long as necessary for both parties to become self-supporting. So that may mean that the party who earns more will pay the party who earns less. Is there a standard formula that gets used for maintenance? You know, there's a lot of factors that go into maintenance, but it's not like child support where there's a specific number that we say, here's the percentage of your income that's going to be maintenance. So there's the factors that the court looks at, like the length of the marriage, the contribution to, you know, the earning potential of the other party that, you know, if somebody stayed home, um, whether there were contributions to education. Um, and so, you know, all of those factors are within the statute, but the court has a lot of discretion. And a lot of what we're dealing with in family law are these principles of fairness, um, of equity, of ensuring that both parties are put in essentially the same position at the end of this marriage. And when you talk about equity and fairness, so depending on who's listening or hearing the the case can can result in a different... uh outcome. Oh, absolutely. I my, my clients always want to know, well, how good of a case do I have? What are my chances? And I always have to say, I really can't tell you. It's all going to depend on what the judge or the commissioner is thinking that day, who they believe more. And, you know, judges and commissioners are, are people. There is room for human error as well. Uh, so, They might believe someone who's not telling the truth. They might believe the person who is telling the truth. But at the same time, you got to realize they're dealing with the same, uh, same resources that we all deal with as people to try to figure out if people are telling the truth. And it's what we know, what we rely on on a daily basis to determine if people are being truthful with us or not. Okay. All right, Allison, one question I didn't ask you in the beginning was we learned who you are, kind of what you do, but what do you do for fun? Oh, man, Jay, that's tough. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what. I've got a really great cat. Uh, His name is Jim. Jim the cat. He is an alley cat. Uh, He is the funniest little stinker. Uh, Anyways, he's somewhere between the ages of 13 and 11, or excuse me, 6 and 13 years old. The vet wasn't really sure. He's missing a whole lot of teeth. Uh, But anyways, he and I like to hang out. He's a stinky boy. Yeah, that's Jim the Cat. Anything else keep you busy? Ah, uh, you know, the usual stuff. I garden, I like to read, I like to do the exercise, yoga, whatnot all. <laughs> well, I think you're also president of the Eau Claire Bar Association. I sure am, and that does keep me busy. Uh, for those of you members of the Eau Claire Bar Association that are listening, uh, please get your dues in to me ASAP. Thank you. <laughs> And also come to the events. We want to rebuild the bar, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, we just had our golf outing. It was a wonderful success, and we're really excited to to see people coming back out to those events. So, Okay. All right. Thank you, everyone. And that's uh, I'll call the end of this uh, episode of Law Talk. Thank you.